Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. What next? I put this in a dashboard. What are you going to do with this? I think a lot of people, they're like, I want to get, I want to be more data informed and I want to build up a robust data organization. That's where they stop. They think, okay, I'm going to get the data and then I'm going to make a decision. And that's not, that's not good enough because there's always going to be more work to do than you can accomplish. And every time you deliver a dashboard, they're going to go, oh, this is great. What if we did this, this, and this? And that's fun like for, for data people. And it's, you enjoy that, but you kind of want to help them think through these things. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. In this episode, we discuss the dynamics behind building data engineering teams with Taylor Murphy, head of product and data at Meltano, featuring a special return appearance from our guest co-host, John Wang, director of engineering at Pedal. We cover Taylor's experiences as GitLab's first data hire, the cross-functional and cross-stakeholder impact of data teams, some of the strategy and timing considerations for building out your data function. Plus, we talk about how to run your data team like a product team, and Taylor shares some of his recommendations on navigating politics and complex company relationships from the holistic and unique point of view of data engineering. Taylor has been deeply involved in leading and building data-informed teams his entire career. At Concert Genetics, he scaled the data operations team to enable the management of hundreds of thousands of genetic tests and millions of claims records. At GitLab, he was the first data hire, where he focused on building and scaling the data organization as the company headed towards its IPO. If you're someone who is tasked with building out your data team, or have ever wondered about some of these strategies or considerations behind building a data engineering organization, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Enjoy our conversation with Taylor Murphy. John, welcome. Thanks for joining us again as a, as a co-host. Great to have you here. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing great, Patrick. Really excited to, to be here and talk to both of you. Awesome. And, and Taylor, what about you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's, um, I'm really excited and uh, been a, a good amount of preparation to, to get to this point, so I'm sure we'll have a good, good conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know we have a, a lot of things that we want to explore related to data engineering, but I think to begin, we'd love to start with just a little bit about your story and your journey and the, the background context that a lot of people will have coming into this conversation is you were the first data engineering hire at GitLab. So I was wondering if we could start there. And can you tell us a little bit about that early experience? And I think give us some of the information about the dynamics of the company. So what was the need at that point in the company? And why did you choose to get involved at that point? So the, the stage of the company, I was hired by the senior director of data and analytics at the time. He brought me on um, and I, I intentionally, it was an interesting story to, I think, try and get with, with GitLab. I was actually looking for a job, but I wanted something specifically remote first because we knew we were going to have a kid and we wanted that flexibility. And based on my previous experience, I was actually kind of aiming a little bit lower in terms of responsibility and career 
um, trajectory. I was managing a team. I had a title of director, though it's for a smaller company. But I was like, okay, I want to double down and kind of focus on my data engineering skills. And so this aligned all the buttons and I was happy with the compensation. Two months, about two months after I joined, he told me that he was leaving the company. And so I would be the only data person reporting directly to the CFO because um, we were in the, the finance org. And for me, that was kind of a, a, an opportunity to, to say, okay, uh, you either need to hire a manager or I can step up and lead the team. And so I, I made the decision and you know, had the conversations with my wife and of course with, with uh, the CFO and like, I, I can do this. I can lead the team. I can hire. I've done it before. Um, and so I was promoted to, to manager and I was given the budget to, to hire a team and kind of think about the, the whole data strategy. So, so really from, you know, technically wasn't the, the first data hire, but it essentially was the, the first uh, long lasting data hire. Joined in January, was manager early April, had my first hire in June. And all through that, we're, we're growing and growing and growing. I think by the end of the year, it was like 500 people. At the end of the year, I had two people on my team, a data engineer and a data analyst for, you know, so three people for about 500 folks. So that's, that's kind of the context of that, that first year. That was 2018 when I joined. And, and how did that experience then evolve into Meltano? Meltano was kind of being incubated at the, when I joined. It was originally a, a bit of a pet project from the CEO, Sid, and it was kind of like under the, the data team as well. I think the person who was formerly my boss like was trying to, to manage this and figure out what that project was going to become. It was, and it was framed as like biz ops. So it's basically like, oh, what the data team is doing, what the finance team is doing seems very analogous to what all these software teams are doing and GitLab's building a DevOps product. So let's just do that for, for data teams. So it was called the, the BizOps project and our, we shared a repo as a data team and as the BizOps project. And they had some engineers kind of working on this and it was a bit of a development arm for the data team. It grew and grew. At, at one point that year, I think we, we picked the Meltano name and then towards the end of the year, it got to the point where it was like, okay, Meltano is, is kind of has their own vision and the needs of GitLab as a company marching towards a, an IPO are a little bit higher. And so we need to have a little bit clearer separation of concerns. And so I was like, look, we still want to be involved. And I want to, I was basically their primary customer and, the, and voice of the, the customer for, for lack of a better word. Um, but I would basically like, look, I need to go pay for some of these tools, but we want to use Meltano. We want to help it, it grow. So it just, it kind of came out of like a, the thinking of just like, well, let's just do what we did for, for GitLab, do that for, for data teams. Um, and it's, it's evolved a lot from there. So it, what's so interesting is like, I don't think it's a very common pathway for somebody to get involved, like very, very ground level, like grassroots, building out a data engineering org, and then to have that like evolve and expand almost into its its own entire entity, and then to have that become its own product suite. When you reflect on that experience, almost like that transition from GitLab to then Meltano becoming its own entity, like were there any lessons or experiences around that shift that you learned about data engineering along the way? One challenge for the, the early team is they didn't really have anybody on the team who had experience working in kind of the, the data profession. So after, I think around 2019, the team grew, they hired like a general manager. The focus shifted more towards like open source, end to end, but with a focus on BI and, like, and really focusing on solo founders. Um, and so there was kind of a, that, that pivot there. At some point, the, the team shrunk back down to one person, Dawaman, who's now the, the CEO. And he repivoted after looking at the, the industry and talking to a lot of people on kind of the open source ELT aspect of it and doubling down on like Singer and, and DBT as, as these critical tools in the start of any data journey. That lesson of just like figuring out what the problem is and actually solving that problem is, is one that kind of keeps coming up and up again. Um, and even for us, as we've spun out, we you know went back to kind of having this, this larger vision focused on, again, end to end, but now it's, it's even more focused on aiming to be the best way to deploy a modern data stack 
um, open source or not. It's just that a lot of iterations about solving the solving the problems that people are having, um, but it can be tough, I think, to understand what the problems are if you haven't ever worked or even been fully adjacent to some of these these positions. John, like building out the data engineering org is like a, it's a very real world that, that you're living in right now. Is there any anything that you found similar or different within your journey so far? Yeah, thanks for asking, Patrick. I, I really wanted to ask Taylor a little bit more about how the data strategy and even the data mandate and problems that you try to solve um, as a data organization changed as you saw GitLab and then Meltano grow. Since data has been at Pedal, um, the company that I'm at, the, the problems that we solve change so quickly as the business and the team grows. Um, so it's really interesting to see how that evolves. Um, I'd love to hear about how that changed. So uh, let's let's separate the, the Meltano distinction from GitLab because at least for a large part of my career at, at GitLab, Meltano was a project and they were solving problems and really building the tools, but that was very different from like the data needs of the organization. And, you know, we tried to make the, the two meet. Specifically for GitLab, um, and this is kind of one of my concerns about having data teams under the finance organization is, is uh, based on my direct experience with that. We were very, at the early days, initially focused on the, the finance org to the detriment, I think, of the rest of the organization. We were getting data from Zora and NetSuite and some other, I can't even remember, some like internal systems, a lot focused on ARR and customer count and churn and retention and all those, those phone numbers, which are extremely important. What was missing, and if I could go back in time, what I would pay more attention to was the, the product analytics side. Early days, there were efforts in the GitLab product to make what was called a usage ping, which is actually still in use today. So a lot of GitLab customers and open source users self-deploy, and then there are periodic calls back home if they have opted in that give you basically rough counts of how many issues do you have, how many users do you have, things like that. And that was kind of the early days of, of their telemetry, but it's extremely rough and, and not great. One of the big things that we did was implement Snowplow into the GitLab product, both for GitLab.com and also if users wanted it on their self-hosted offerings and really starting to take a, a deeper look into product analytics. But honestly, that was the, the most undermet need for the entire time I was there because just reporting into to the, the finance organization, that's what we're going to be focused on. And, and we weren't able to fully meet the needs of, of product, but also we're trying to, to make sales and customer success and, and really everybody happy. And so I always say we were... We were punching above our weight and we moved on to Snowflake. We were using DBT and, and I pushed DBT as hard as it could go. And we were trying to use these DevOps best practices in the, the data org. And I think that really helped us move faster. But yeah, looking looking back now, I would have asked for a few more headcount and, and been a bit more strategic uh, in our thinking there. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then did, did the data org expand outside of finance eventually to encompass the entire organization? So that's, it's an interesting story because data under... Finance is kind of bucketed under GNA, and they like to keep costs down as much as possible. And so, what we actually saw happening is other teams in the, the organization essentially hiring their own data analysts or spinning up their own data functions, but still relying on us as the central data platform team. So, part, part of that, and this is, this gets into some of the, the politics of, of it as well, is I was just a, a manager and I had a couple of ICs rep reporting to me. What was missing, and as the company grew, was kind of that director level or even VP level of leadership. We had the CFO in our court and he understood the value of a data team, but he's a CFO and he's, he's kind of focused on that. And eventually we got to the point where we hired a, a director of data and then we have like a VP of IT and, and they are able to, to move these initiatives forward. But lacking that um, leadership at that level, you find people hiring their own marketing analyst or you have a couple of sales analysts and the, the challenge there, happy to talk more about this too, is, is 
okay, hey, I need access to this data. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're using DBT. We use Snowflake. This is our process. And you start to butt heads a, a little bit with people as you kind of try to onboard them to that. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that because I I think the one thing that has been really beneficial in terms of what we've done is we, we do have that more senior leadership representation for data and that has allowed us to over time evolve the definition of what the data infrastructure team does and focuses on along with the understanding of the entire company and stakeholders. So we were able to shift the focus of the data engineering team, as it was called in the past, to more of a data infrastructure team and then get more organization buy-in on, yes, we need an analytics team to really begin to service all of the data requirements across the different functions that we supported. That, I think, was really beneficial in, in helping us kind of just stay ahead of, I guess, like stakeholder management momentum and, and keep that built up and going. And it, it definitely changes and it depends on the, the context and the size of the organization. I think, you know, most organizations as they grow are going to start with one person and you need that person to have not just some technical experience, but also the the clout and the ability to have those conversations with stakeholders and to say, hey, look, you're excited about this. Let's think about this in a larger strategy of, okay, you're deploying HubSpot. Here's some of the questions I know we're going to want to answer down the road. Are we putting ourselves up in a place where we can have success at that when it becomes important? And the situation I've, I found us in is is coming in at like 200 people and this, the machine is just churning and, and going at this point and you're trying to wrap your arms around it and you're doing the best you can. We're always fairly far behind of where where I, ideal the ideal state would be, um, but even in like a, a super healthy state, I think we were behind that. Can you talk a little bit more about the the timing? Because I know that with with Meltano, you're interfacing with with a huge data engineering community, and then from some of the lessons learned from here, like I know that you have some some thoughts around the impact of when you build out a data engineering function either too late or like at least the cost that people should be aware of. Can you talk a little bit more about considerations around timing and building out your data engineering function for the first time, or the impact of of what happens when it's too late? The only caveat I'll, I'll give initially off the bat for that is like Meltano is a, a data focused company and is a data tooling company. So I felt it important as we were spinning out that we needed somebody on the leadership team that had like data in their title. And that's why I'm head of product and data. Um, I don't want to be both for forever, but I felt that was important. That said, for any like any startup and especially, you know, one to 20 people, I do think you can really get away with built in kind of analytics for, for some of these tools that you're probably already using. But Around that, yeah, 15, 20 person mark, you need to be thinking about, okay, what is our data strategy going forward and how are we going to get the answers to the questions that we, we currently have and are we, how are we going to be confident in them? And then what, how are we going to get the answers to the questions that we know we're going to have in the, in the future? There was an old article from the Fishtown folks, now DBT Labs folks, about when, when to think about hiring folks. And they said like somewhere in between one to 50, depends kind of what your, your business is doing. My bias is that that gets pulled forward a little bit, that if you can find somebody who is capable of coming in as a head of data or director of data, whatever the level is, but is also technical enough to implement some of the work, doing that around you know somewhere between 50 and 30 people is hugely beneficial. And then growing the team from there anywhere from two to 5% of headcount is kind of essential and is such an accelerator for most things that any business unit is trying to do, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, they have questions on how well am I performing and the data team is going to be best positioned to, to answer those questions for most companies. 
On the other side of that, one of the big questions that oftentimes comes up with different engineering leaders that, that have worked with within the community is how do you advocate for those resources or appropriately communicate the, the strategy in a way where either the CFO or the CEO can make sort of like that ROI argument? Do you have certain parts of like the impact that a data engineering team has on the overall business that you can kind of point to and say, here's sort of the, the ROI or the impact to help somebody better communicate for those resources? That's a good question. The way I've been framing it, the way I thought about it in the, the past is that the data team is one of the few parts of the organization that can typically be viewed as serving the entire company and also potentially all of your customers, depending on kind of what, you, what your product does. Unpacking that a little bit, everybody in the organization is, is generating data and has questions on how they're performing and where there are opportunities for optimization. And the data team is generally best position to like tap into the, those data streams and start answering those questions and, and providing that value and, and looking for the, the bottlenecks. Uh, on the, the customer side, I, I think uh, you can make the argument, you know, if you have a ton of product analytics coming in, what's what are our customers using? Where are the opportunities for, for upsell and things like that? So there's like the whole sales motion and, and product development process that goes with that, but also just all the, the back office things. The ROI argument some of it is a leap of faith in the early stages, particularly for maybe executives who have not seen high-functioning data teams in practice. I think that's where like the leadership and the, frankly, like the strong personality comes in of, of somebody coming in and advocating for this to say this, this is important and you're going to see benefits and the benefits are going to be sung by everybody else in the company. You, you can toot your horn all day long, but the, the best advocate for your work is you know, the VP of sales or the head of customer success our head of marketing saying like, we love what the data team is doing. They're answering all these questions for us or they're helping us move faster and, and more focused because of the work that they're doing. So I believe that's possible, but if they're wanting to see like a, a pure numbers outlay, that's that's harder and it's it's just ironic and part of the nature of, of data teams, I think, where it's hard to justify and quantify our own value, even when we're able to provide a lot of value for other folks. John, what, what have you observed like within your data engineering journey? I think timing is important and leadership is important. Everything that Taylor mentioned is really spot on. I think the other thing that I would add is the organization also really needs to be bought into using data for decisions. A lot of the operations and a lot of the directionality of the business need to be well informed by data because if there's not that pull from the top in that actual business need and desire, then there's no real need for an analytics team and therefore no real need for a data um, infrastructure or engineering team to support that function. Um, data probably then just becomes more of a uh, engineering, you know, service, um, you know, UTL, reverse ETL kind of thing. That's important too. And I think as a business and as a, as a company evolves and grows, a lot of times you're kind of just making these decisions by the seat of your pants. And, and as you continue to, to develop, I feel like people begin to focus on metrics more and more, especially as more senior leaders from bigger companies are hired and they're used to the uh, these tools and these dashboards that they see every day. They come and, and then they just, the first question they ask is, how do you know this is true? And, you know, some people put their hands up and that helps spin the story of how important data and analytics is. Yeah. Two things I want to expand on there is is one, your point about kind of the executive leadership, but also I'd go further and just say that like the CEO, the CEO, I'm a big believer is such a driver of culture and all the process. And if you can't get their buy-in or if they they are, it's a half-hearted commitment to data and, and thinking and being informed by data, then it's it's just not going to work. So 100%, like you can come in as a data professional, whether you're a data engineer or an analyst, 
into an organization, you can you know, make some progress. But if there's not that buy-in, it's going to be very difficult. On metrics, I think we're experiencing this with, with Meltano. Uh, we are technically pre-product market fit. And we have a data team. It's primarily me and one, one data engineer. We care about certain metrics. But those early days, it absolutely has to be more qualitative and a little bit by the seat of your pants. And, and you're right. As you grow, you want to get more detailed metrics and you want to be more accurate because you're, you have a kind of the flywheel of the business that's actually turning and growing. Early days, for us in particular, it's, is this directionally correct? Is it having an impact on kind of the top line big number that we want, number of projects, number of applications or tools per project? Those are the big things. Can we measure them? And is it moving in the right direction? And that's good enough. And that gets you where you're going. But certainly as you grow, and certainly as GitLab grew, more accurate metrics, and we went through many iterations of what is ARR, and then net ARR, and then all these subdivisions of retention and, you know, yeah, all, all that fun stuff um, become, becomes very important. And that's particularly where you need, where the data team becomes most valuable and the data engineering in particular is when you need to combine data from these different SaaS tools or these different databases. You can get a lot out of the data that exists in one system, but as soon as you need to connect it with something else, you need that kind of data expertise. When you're considering like the how of like how to build out more of a, a data organization, are there certain priorities that you would, I guess, like give like general recommendations toward like at, at this sort of stage of maturity of your organization, like this is probably going to be likely more important than not. Is there any sort of input you have around that? I have ideas and I, I'm certainly biased by my experiences. So, you know, I've worked now at a, a like a zero to 15 person startup. I joined, I was at a startup previously, 10 to about 30 people. And then GitLab is certainly the, the biggest scale up uh, that, that I've been at. And yeah, early days, it's kind of the, just the, the key metrics that you care about. If you are like us and um, are pre-revenue um, and just an open source product, you have to kind of be a little bit more thoughtful about your metrics. Is it, do we care about GitHub stars? Do we care about contributions? Do we care about deployed projects, things like that. Once you have revenue coming in the door, it makes sense, you know, what's your customer count, what's your ARR, and kind of what's your, your retention rate. But then as you grow from there, you're tweaking knobs to improve specific uh, metrics and outcomes. And, and if you want to grow larger customers, that's where the, like, I think data teams can start to add value on being able to slice and dice data better and, and present a better picture of reality. That's another framing of, of all this is, is data teams, there's all this data flowing and you can't possibly have the entire map of reality for your business or your organization in your head. And so data teams are, are trying to create that shared representation of reality as close to accurate as possible. And early days, you're like, yeah, it's directionality. And as you get larger, you need a more accurate representation of reality. And you need to make sure that there aren't shared realities uh, between different organizations. And that's where this like arbiter of the, the data team can, can come in, I think. And when you say the arbiter of the data team, is this when you're talking about like the more senior like leadership representation? Uh, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So you, you have somebody, and sometimes it can, it can be the, the CEO or, or some executive if they have that confidence to, to be able to say, okay, you have a different number, they have a different number, what's right, and show me the process of how, of how you got to there. If, you're, if you have somebody who's head of data, that should be their responsibility to essentially reconcile those and say, like, yes, we believe this is the source of truth. Here's why that number is wrong. You, you would phrase it maybe a little bit better when you're in the actual meeting. Here's why we believe there's an, a discrepancy in this number, and this is why our number is better. By arbiter of the, the data, I, I think, you know, who's, who's the person responsible and then who is actually, like, overseeing the, the, the conversations and also the actual processes in place. I think arbiter of the truth is so important and single source of truth is so critical. 
Taylor, that might be the new license plate you'll have to get as the arbiter of the truth. <laughs> that's, that's more of a bumper sticker. I don't know if I can fit that in eight letters. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. The next question I want to ask you, Taylor, with the the different folks within the data world that you've been interacting with and the the community built around Meltano, have there been any roadblocks or unexpected or surprising challenges around building out the data engineering organization or or data engineering teams that you've seen that that are interesting and want to call out? Maybe throw out a couple solutions for some folks who might be experiencing those in the moment. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, it generally all comes down to people and their different experiences and, the, and their different backgrounds. I, there's certainly technical challenges, whether it's, hey, there's a new company that makes it super easy to get their data out, or you've gone with Redshift or BigQuery or Snowflake or, or whatever. So I, I, I do think the technical problems are, are interesting. They're solvable, but frankly, I think they're generally somewhat easier than, than some of the, the people challenges. So specifically with, with roadblocks, dealing with folks who um, can have like preconceived ideas of how data teams work in the past or what they're used to from a self-service experience. Um, or you get folks, particularly in finance, I think, that are like, hey, just give me a CSV. I just want to put it in Excel and I'm going to play with the numbers. And so a lot of it, this was true of my experience at GitLab, like a lot of my time was spent, sure, building the systems and we're writing more, you know, DBT tests and we're trying to build these systems to be robust and fault tolerant. But a lot of it is just is talking with folks of like, what challenges are you seeing in your, your day to day? And what questions do you have? Are we able to answer those questions? And some of it became, it becomes like these mini counseling sessions of what are you trying to do with this chart? And a lot of times, and I do this now with our, our CEO and, and other members of the leadership team of just like, okay, let's, you have this question, let's draw on a fake chart. Let's see, here's our x-axis, here's our y-axis, here's what we think it, it's happening. And what are we going to do with this? We, we generate this dashboard, it's going to take you know maybe a week to do it for, for whatever reason. What next? I put this in a dashboard, what are you going to do with this? And having that com- conversation and, and thinking just kind of one step ahead is a really good exercise because I think a lot of people, they, they're, they're like, I want to get, I want to be more data informed and I want to build up a robust data organization. And that's, that's where they stop. They think, okay, I'm going to get the data and then I'm going to make a decision. And that's not, that's not good enough. And it, that creates a lot of problems for the, the data team because there's always going to be more work to do than you can accomplish. And every time you deliver a dashboard, they're going to go, oh, this is great. What if we did this, this, and this? And that's fun like for, for data people. And it, it's, it's, you enjoy that, but you kind of want to help them think through these things. And it turns into like this, this whole product kind of life cycle. Um, that, that's where this whole like data, run your data team like a product team kind of thesis came from. And you're having these conversations with essentially your customers. What are you trying to do? What's the problem you're trying to solve? And how can I make generic solutions that work for you and, you know, 100 other people in the organization? So again, it's just it's just a roadblock. And I, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, do you have a, a CEO or an executive team that's that's on board with this? Do you have people that are eager for, for data? Do you have enough uh, support be it um, financially and also, you know, clout within the organization to get things done. Those are going to be the, you know, that's 80% of probably all the problems. The rest are technical and those are fun things to, to work about and think and think on. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to, to people, I think. Tell us more about the run your data team like a product team thesis. What other, what other components go into that? 
I have to give a huge shout out. So the, the first data analyst that I hired at GitLab, um, her name is Emily Sherio. She went on at GitLab to be on the chief of staff team. And now she's at Amplify Partners as kind of their data strategist in residence. And she's an, an all around force. But we wrote that blog post together. And we also gave a talk at the first Coalesce conference, which is DBT's uh, user conference. The, basically, the, the idea around that was one, to strategically for us, elevate the status of a data team. Um, I joked at the time of like, look, if we could just get you know a couple of HBR articles written about data organizations, get some CEOs to read it, like all of data as a profession would would be better because they're like, oh yeah, we absolutely need to do this. So you know, it's a little bit like trying to be thought leadery about it and push the the industry forward. Having lived with that, I, I think we wrote that in 2020. Now working as a product leader at a data organization, I still very much believe in all that. But the idea was that. It's not enough just to hire a data engineer and just then say, we have a data practice. A data engineer is a, is a specific role and they're going to be focused on spe- solving specific problems, but it's not fair to ask them to do the work of an analytics engineer and an analyst and a data scientist and a data leader and all these other things. And so we were talking about there's specific roles. Like if, if you have the budget and if you're, you're growing enough, you should think about having somebody who's like essentially a data product manager who is talking to customers and being the voice of the customer inside the internal team or, or saying, and even for, for technical platform teams, how are you using this data? Is the latency good enough? Are you okay with you know, late arriving facts? Like understanding those technical problems, having folks who are akin to designers to help their users understand like, is this a good design? Are you able to understand what this chart is trying to tell you? Like elevating the, the whole idea of like product as a, as a profession and kind of industry is, is, is figuring this, this stuff out, building tools for their customers. And because the entire company for data teams is the customer, keep having that mindset can be very valuable um, and is, is nice. It's not you know, exactly one-to-one, but there's a lot of similarities and it's, it's been useful to pull from. Were there any practices that you would want to call out like that align with that, that mentality or that mindset and that approach to a data team that help reinforce that, that you want to call out? Yeah, I, I think the, the big one being like thinking in user stories is a pretty good way to... To, to get started with this. And we actually had some immediate su- suggestions on what, what you could do if you're trying to kind of start implementing it, this in your organization. But user, user stories was essentially one of them. Like, you know, as a user, I'm trying to do X so that I can do Y or trying to understand whatever. And this gets back to what I was talking about with the conversations I'm having where it's like, okay, let's, let's whiteboard this out. Let's draw this, this chart. What are you trying to do with this? Yeah, some of it's like a, a counseling session because you're like, okay, well, tell, tell me your problems and I'll see if the data team's the right, right solution for them. But, but thinking in that way of, of thinking, okay, this, this is the product spec as we're defining it and this is really the, the data spec and here's the dashboard or here's how the data is going to be used and here's the full data flow and here's the limitations that we have. And then you as like the data product manager can go talk to the head of engineering and say, what is it going to take? We can't do, deal with 24-hour delay on this. We need to speed it up, speed it up to 15 minutes. What's that going to take? Yeah, once again, I'm going to 100% agree with Taylor in terms of having just a product manager for a data team is so important just to clear clarify those requirements, negotiate roadmap. The one thing that was also really handy for us was continuous conversation around what the data engineering team should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing based on how the organization is evolving because in the first couple of years of pedal data engineering was you know doing everything move data massage data create data reports um, but then as the business got bigger and there's more stakeholders you have a centralized team holding context 
in their mind of every single business function and how to how to deliver reports for that. What allowed us to make the data engineering team more and more interesting to work on for the engineers who were there was we began try to trying to push off some responsibilities and some of these dashboards. Our analytics team grew much bigger, but all of that was due to, I think, treating data engineering like a product team um, and really having that product partner there to help with those conversations because engineers are engineers, right? Like you're zoned in, you're trying to get things done and things built. So I think that is that is so important. I'm, I'm curious, John, for the broader engineering team, do metrics about the systems that the engineering team is supporting and then metrics about the engineering team themselves, is that managed by the kind of data org or is that by the broader engineering team and they, they manage that themselves? It's not. The engineering systems and uptime and availability, um, MTTR, stuff like that, that is all managed by the engineering team in one way or another. But I've never thought about it that way. Is that is that how it's done? You know, with any of the orgs that you've been a part of, Taylor? Yeah, so that, that's how it was done at GitLab, and it, it's one one um, not that I haven't cracked quite yet because one, I think one reality for data organizations is what is typically flowing into a warehouse right now is like a subset of all the data in an organization, and partly that's that's because the systems that data teams are using, so like Snowflake or Redshift, for example, really aren't built to ingest logs and have kind of the, the quicker response times that a lot of these engineers are actually used to. And so at, at GitLab, certainly we had, um, they had their, their own systems and they had their own dashboards for understanding the performance of you know, production. And I actually wouldn't really want to touch that where we really started to interact with saying, okay, we have this dashboard and we need to sub- surface a subset of that to the rest of the organization, to the, to the leadership team. And so how do we get that data flow into the rest of the process? And that's, that's I think, tying it all back to like the engineering thing. Like, I would have loved to have that conversation earlier to see, you know, and engineers kind of have, have their own skills and needs around production systems and how can data and, and data engineering really help with that in a way that doesn't hinder them, but also kind of exposes it to the to the rest of the business. Um, and that's something I never, we never really fully touched. At, at some point at GitLab, they hired their own data engineer focused specifically on infrastructure and engineering analytics. And he, you know, worked with the kind of the central data team. Yeah, that, I think that was another kind of, you know, blind spot for for me. That is such a cool um, thing because it's a hundred percent something that I've never thought of. It's really eye opening. So I'm really glad you uh, you brought that up. Honestly, some of this comes from um, the, the Twitter community. So Josh Wills on Twitter, he was early at Slack and talked about their their system. And I think they have like a very stream based system and a small part of the data that was flowing between all of these transactional systems, I think, was actually flowing into the data warehouse. And that got me thinking more of just like, oh, yeah, there, there's a ton of data out there. And what we're using data teams for, um, you know, it makes sense. And it's, it's justifiable. But there's a lot of other data flowing. And what can we learn from them? Or what can they learn from us? Uh, is something I don't, you know, haven't thought even deeper about yet. I want to transition to probably it's this is probably a messy question and talking about like you know company politics so you mentioned earlier about how data engineering like has this unique position because you're essentially serving the whole company which is interesting because when you think about navigating politics and navigating some of the different priorities of an organization you're kind of in this unique sort of contact and viewpoint of the entire organization in those competing priorities so i was wondering if you talk to us just a little bit about how do you navigate some of those politics where there's different priorities, multi-stakeholders, multifunctional environments uh, from a data engineering perspective? What's that? How do you navigate those treacherous waters? I, I do. I, I want to reframe it a little bit. I'm, I'm coming to terms and acceptance of, of that politics in the context of an organization isn't, uh, isn't a bad word. It's just dealing with, with people and 
it's, it's okay. And recognizing that there are differences in power dynamics and differences in incentives and goals are, that's just dealing with humans. And so politics is just how you try to accomplish things in an organization um, using you know, the soft power that you have. So I don't want to frame it as, as, as a, it's a very necessary thing and, and framing it as something bad, it, I think puts it as something that we could eventually get completely rid of. And I, that's not the most helpful framing, I think, because it, it creates an antagonistic relationship. So all of that to say, I'm coming at this from, from a positive thing. And, and I think there's a positive way to, to do a lot of this, recognizing that we're all, we're all humans. Coming, coming to people with, particularly for data, I think coming to people with true empathy and understanding of, of, of look, you were hired to do a job and you have a set of, of incentives and personal goals and organizational goals that you're trying to do. And the better that you, and by you, I mean the, the person in the shoes having the conversation or the data leader or even the data engineer can start to tease those out implicitly or even just pull them out kind of explicitly and, and ask questions like, what, what are you trying to accomplish here? can help you build a, a better understanding mental model of how what the, what the other person's thinking and what they're we're going through and also help you navigate that path of saying, okay, here's, here's my goal. And, and this is what I do. And honestly, in a lot of life, just trying to be honest and, and transparent about things like, look, this is my goal. I have a specific goal in this and I'm, I'm willing to waver on what the production system looks like or the latency numbers or whatever. Help me understand your goals and see if we can figure out a path there. And, and so turn it from, you know, two people have separate problems that you're trying to butt heads against and solve and, and literally put like, here's, here's the problem on a stool in front of us. Can we figure this out together given our shared, um, you know, shared goals and, and shared experience and, and, and challenges? What does that look like specifically? It starts from, from there, from having that conversation and then just being very specific and, and documenting and generating that, that shared understanding of what you're trying to do. At GitLab and now at Meltano, we have a very strong documentation culture. Everything was, was in the handbook. And the handbook, I found, is one of the best ways to force some of those conversations where you're saying, okay, I'm going to write this down. And do we agree that this is it? Do you have suggestions or, or changes? And once we merge that, that's the, the current state of reality. We can change it, but it gives you that shared third-party or external source of truth to, to go from. And... Like with anything, you have to be careful. That could be weaponized. Like the, the handbook could be weaponized and say like, oh, this is what they said. But, but it's, it can be a useful tool to, to really help those conversations. Is there like a, a story or example where that just kind of highlights like just how to navigate like the differences in priorities and then like making them really, making them the, the shared goal really explicit that you can help kind of anchor us around? So I'll, I'll go back kind of early days of GitLab. And this ties into to the product analytics I had multiple conversations with our, our VP of product, um, our CFO, and some product managers around the, the differing data needs. And a lot of it came back to, you know, the, the product managers and the, the VP of product, they, they have needs like, when can we get this data? We're, we're dying without this. We can't make decisions without this. And me saying, these are my priorities. And, and this, you know, the CFO is asking for these numbers and th this is our, our work in progress and this is our backlog and this is kind of what we have, have to get through. And some of it comes down to, you may have a conclusion that you already have and the, and the answer may be, I can't do this work for you right now. I don't have the capacity. I'm trying to make that visible via our backlog, via our issue board. And so some of it is, is bringing them along to the conclusion that you, you already have, being open to possibly changing your own mind, but saying, look, like we can't do this. So we need if, if this is really important, we have to figure out another conversation Here's the CFO. Do you need more budget? Do you need something else? And, and so for, for me, that specifically saying, we, we can't do this. Here's some possibilities 
and potential solutions for how we could. We, you know, we can hire a few more people. That's going to take a few more months. We cannot do do this analysis or not build this system. Um, we can give you an approximation. Does it need to be 100% accurate or does it need to be 80% accurate? And so once you're you're able to show them kind of these are all the levers that we can pull on our end. These are the levers you can pull on kind of the the financial side or the headcount side. It does make that conversation easier. And my strategy is just to always just come at it with a lot of empathy and and iterate back like, yeah, you're you're having, a, I understand the pressure you're under and I want to help you solve this problem. Here's the constraints I'm under. And just try to be as as collaborative as, as possible because the, the other strategy is to, to play these games and to, to not share things and, and to throw people under the bus. And it's just, it's not, that's just not fun. I love it. Great story. So, so rapid fire questions, Taylor. The first one is, what are you reading or listening to right now? And then there's like also a sub question in the back of my mind of like, man, I, I hope you just point out your space shelf, but I'll leave it up to you to, to take that question however you want to go. So I actually have, so the book I'm, I'm just finished reading, but slash also rereading. So this is Time Management for Mortals, um, 4,000 4, Weeks. Um, and it's really about a, a you know somebody who's like a productivity geek for me. I think it, it's a nice reframing of how to think about time and how to, to structure your day. Um, as far as my bookshelf, everything. So this that shelf, the second shelf, is things that I haven't read yet. They're on my to do read or my to read list. And so some of them, like the the Benjamin Franklin uh, biography or you know Staff Engineer by Will Larson. I've got a bunch. And then the ones on here are things that I have read, like. The goal, working backwards, discipline equals freedom. I got a bunch of stuff, and then yeah, I've got a higher like a bunch of a bunch of space stuff. Um, so and also random podcasts, but they're all like silly podcasts. Uh, I generally don't listen to work related podcasts. <laughs> I love that. I also really appreciate like the functional getting things done like organization of your bookshelf. Well, I just have a bad habit of of seeing a book I like and having an unlimited book budget, uh, whether that's strategic or not. But I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to read that eventually, so I'll just get it. Of all the things to have, an unlimited book budget is pretty good. All right, question number two. What tool or methodology has had a big impact on you? This may be an obvious answer. Um, I think SQL is such a, it's such, such a powerful tool for anybody. If you're able to query a database um, or get access to a database and, and test some queries, like it's a superpower and you can go far with that. And I basically built my whole career off of knowing how to manipulate data. And then kind of coupled with that, understanding like the principles of, of DevOps and software engineering is the combination superpower that has led me to kind of where I am with Meltano right now. I love that identifying the combo superpower. That's such a good, such a good insight. All right, next, next question. What's been the most meaningful in-person experience with your team, your company, or otherwise? Um, this doesn't have to be the most meaningful one, but but one of the the most meaningful in-person experiences. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I think the the one that came to mind was we had it was last year, so we had just spun Meltano out of GitLab, um, and there was a sense of loss with that because like. GitLab, you know, has these yearly conferences, and I think there was a big one planned for later that year. And we were coming out of COVID, and this was when the the case counts were, were fairly low. So we we got the whole team together in Mexico City, and I think it was seven or eight of us, and it was just an amazing time, just to like hug people again, be, see all of your coworkers who you hadn't seen for probably a year and a half, um, and then that was also the the trip where we settled on the the mascot, the the dragon mascot for Meltano, Melty. And it, it was just Mexico. It was in Mexico City. It was a wonderful trip, ignoring the fact that I got violently ill at the, the very end of it. Um, otherwise, it was, it was an amazing experience. And, and really, honestly, like, all of our company offsites, both at GitLab and, and with Meltano, have been wonderful, uh, wonderful work related experiences. I, I love the intersection of outcomes being relationships and, you know, like the big, you know, joyful hugging moment to then like 
objective leaving with a mascot like yeah <laughs> and, and literally we were like walking to dinner talking about different mascots one time we were talking about like maybe we do like a beaver or some like african uh dog uh and then somebody seems somehow dragon was suggested and we're like oh yeah dragon this would be awesome uh and there, here we are <laughs> that's perfect all right what is a trend that you're seeing or following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet I don't know what I don't know what mainstream qualifies because I'm definitely in like a startup Twitter bubble for sure. I think like some of the Twitter buzz is, is kind of these HTAP databases, so these like hybrid transactional analytical databases that try to do everything for everybody. So that's kind of not yet mainstream, though some vendors would argue. Um, where I where I took this and thinking about it was really just coming back to the the fundamentals and kind of applying that product management lens. Is, is something I think the industry like data side is, is kind of going through. We, there was these years of tons of VC money and here's these new ways of doing things. And now we'll probably see this contraction of, okay, we've done a lot, we've learned a lot. Let's go back to the fundamentals and kind of like start over, um, or at least for some sort of start over with these new learnings in place. And it's this, this cycle of, of reapplication of, of knowledge. And there's some genuinely new and exciting things that, that come out of that. So right now I think we're, you know, being the on the startup side of things like, okay, we learned a lot and we're now building a product that kind of gets to rethink some of these fundamentals and how do we kind of grow from there. So I don't know if that, that's in, in the mainstream, but like that's kind of the, the natural cycle of expansion, contraction, bundling and unbundling of, of software too. <laughs> I think it's such a, this is an interesting, interesting intersection there. So the, the last question, Taylor, we have for you to, to wrap this all up is, is there a quote or a mantra that you live by? Um, and part of me is also thinking, you know, you mentioned Twitter a couple times. I wanted to give your your, your Twitter a, a big shout out because it is such like it brings a lot of levity to the world of like data engineering for people that are interested in you know some of those memes and, and humor, but also like deep reality and honesty for the experience. Definitely want to point that out because I'm thinking like, oh man, I hope he says ML ops more like ML oops, um, <laughs> which was a one that made me made me chuckle. So, but anyway, to wrap us all up, is there a quote or a mantra that you live by, or a quote that's been resonating with you right now? There, there's one um, that I've been thinking about. It actually comes from the book I was reading, 4,000 uh, Weeks. And in this like very turbulent time, it, it helps you focus of just like do the next right thing. Um, there's a lot of things that you can't control. Um, there's a lot of, of things going around, but you can do the thing, you can take the next step and you can do the thing that, that you believe is, is right. And for me, that's really coupled with kind of personal values of honesty and transparency and just kind of bringing things back to those, those fundamentals. And so all you can really do is, is rest, catch your breath, and then do the next right thing. I deeply resonate with that. John, thanks so much for, for your support as, as co-host and helping us get to some great places. Taylor, thank you so much for your time and for your stories. Uh, an incredible conversation. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This was wonderful, and I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. It was really great talking to you. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.